adjust this a little bit more, just a little bit more like that, and uh, stop. Perfect. All right. Uh, <laughs> and I was recording because I like to record a little Ooh, bit of that preamble. Sound. I, I like, like a little ambient. I like just you know you hear disembodied voices. The room tone is that what they call it? Room tone. Well, room tone is when nobody's talking. Oh. And you have to. Everybody. You know. You've been on set when that right. happens. When everybody's just standing around. Right. And and, getting like the hum of the air conditioner or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like there's a. You know, like that moment of silence where right. everybody's just kind of looking around at one another, and uh, and because it happens at the end of the day, everyone's just exhausted, <laughs> and everyone's just like, just release just us look. already. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to get like somebody to do like a whole movie called Room Tone, and it just follows like <laughs> people's faces, and maybe you hear like their inner monologue or something. That'd be kind like of that. awesome, actually. Um, but welcome everybody to the Wages of Cinema. And uh, once again, we are doing the local vocal uh, series, uh, which we sometimes do on the show. And uh, my guest is a, uh, once again, we have a fellow actor around, and he's also uh, a writer and uh, sometimes director, if that's right, I think. Sometimes. Yeah, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about that. Plus, he's uh, kind of in the news business, and we'll sort of talk about that a little bit, too, because I'm curious to know about more of that. Sure, and, sure. Um, and I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Devin Kloss to uh, The Wages of Cinema. Welcome to... Thank uh, you. Yes. Like I said, I don't have... It's not a cat ranch. I call it <laughs> kind of the... Like, maybe I should call it like the Jack Shack or something like that. Yeah, I I think that's a great name for it. Like, <laughs> live from the Jack Shack, it's The Wages of Cinema. Or yes. Something like that. That'd be a great sort of preamble for every show. <laughs> yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, it's probably corny. It's better than, like... It's better than being called, like, Jacko. Or something. Yeah. You know, like, my brother used to, he heard, uh, I don't know, years ago he heard something about Michael Jackson's nickname was, like, Jacko. Mm-hmm. And so he would always tell, call me Jacko. And oh, there was some, fun. and there was a random Saturday Night Live bit where somebody made a joke. Uh, it was, like, a news guy talking about Michael Jackson. And, I, like, Michael Jackson falls in a skit. And this guy goes, Jacko on his backo. And so for years and years, my brother has <laughs> called me, hey, Jacko on his backo. And, <laughs> and you went, damn you, SNL. Yes. I'll never leave it down. <laughs> damn you, SNL. Now, have you ever, is that oh, geez, the only nickname you've ever had? Or? Um, well, I mean, having the name Jack is not a great name to have right. when you're, you know, in middle school. Um, you know, when when you can a- easily add the word off to your name, that <laughs> really doesn't lend that. itself. Well, you you're you're a, I guess you were nicer than some <laughs> of the people I went to school with. <laughs> oh man, is Jack short for something or is no, it, is it's it just Jack? Jack. Okay. It's just Jack because when uh, like you know some people are John and they're Jack. Right. I'm just or James. I know a couple of Jameses that are also go by Jack, which I always thought was really weird. in my family. Some of the like Irish I thought, people. I thought everybody was like Jim or Jimmy from. James. I did too, but there was a, I have a. I've never met him, but like a great uncle or something who was like, oh, it's Uncle Jack. And then he introduced himself. He's like, hi, I'm James. And I was like, wait, what? Who are you? <laughs> so I don't know if that's just he likes Jack better or if that's a thing. No, I've, I've always been I've always been Jack. I mean, the weird thing with me, though, is my last name uh, situation has been always a little complex because um, like, my dad's last name is Gattinella. Right. My mom's last name is Crystal. And for a number of years, my last name was just Jack Gatinella. Right. But then my mom got into her head, I think, when I was maybe like six or seven. And this also happened for my brother, too, where 
she really, I guess, wanted to continue on the the crystal name or oh. something like that because there were no other kids in the bloodline, I guess, with wow. crystal. So my full name on my license has it as Crystal Gatinella. So I really have two last names. Wow, it's very Lannister of her. Just wants yeah. to. <laughs> It's all about the family line. Must continue the family a line. A crystal always pays his debts. Ooh. <laughs> God, yeah. A little less incest, I think. <laughs> well, here's hoping. <laughs> but yeah, so it's always been it's been a weird thing in my life where uh yeah, and so and of course my and my parents, my mom didn't take my dad's mm-hmm. last name, so she was always last name Crystal. And now in adult life, I I, kind of, I, I just, I don't know, I, I, I like Gatineau a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think when I was a little younger, I kind of thought to myself, well, I'm getting into film. I don't know, something about Gatinella, I kind of like, you know, it, this is how this is how my ego works. Like, it's not about, like, oh, I want to be rich and famous. I right. want, if, like, I see articles about me, people <laughs> that, talk that about, the, <laughs> yeah, people see, talk about the Gatinella oeuvre, Gatinella's oh, thing. Oh, Gat, okay. That's, like, to me, a real director name. Like, that sounds like somebody who came out of the now, Italian it, New Wave or something like that. I was going to say, because it's, like, it's more ethnic, so it feels maybe. like a Scorsese versus, yeah. like, a Smith. Yeah, maybe thing. something like that. Yeah, um... I get maybe it just sounds better to me, but then my brother took Crystal. Oh man, that must be so. Confusing. Even though he's still Crystal Gatinella, right? So if you so like if you go on Facebook, he's you know you see his last name is Crystal, my name's Gatinella because it's just as a kid, you know, if you have two last names like that, it's just really confusing. It's just oh, yeah. two, and you have to spell both names. One name is hard enough, but the other thing is that Crystal is not spelled. It's not spelled like Billy Crystal. Oh. It's spelled C H R I S T A L, so it's a lot I, of extra I, letters in there. Wow. Yeah, it, I tell people it's like Christ. All. <laughs> I have to be like that's Shatner. an ego boost too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last name is Christ. All. Um, Christ all. But uh, but so you're just Kloss though. Yes, just Kloss. No, you're not like Klosterman or something. No. I thought that maybe that might have been. I wish I was related thing. to like Chuck Klosterman. <laughs> I mean, my 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 claim to fame in terms of names is I'm a quarter Japanese. So really? my middle name is Tiyoshi. Mm. But. No one. That's what the middle name stands yeah, for. No one okay, has that's... ever guessed that. No one ever will guess that because I look about as Japanese as Chuck Klosterman, honestly. Yeah. So. Well, that's like how uh, what uh, Olivia Munn. When you look at her, right. maybe you could see a little bit of the Asian a in her, in the face, but it's but... yeah, but it's not like oh my god, she's from the right. such and such place. Um, that that's that's kind of cool. That's uh, so that must so. When you grew up, did you like were your parents? Did they also? What did one of them look Asian? Or? My my sister and my father look very Asian. Okay. And my my grandmother was she's she was from Okinawa. She came oh. here. I want to say like late twenty, uh, late teens, early twenties. You know, married my grandfather. He was stationed there during okay. uh, the I think it was the Korean War. And you know, she's off the boat, Japanese. But the the funny thing about her is that I'm actually I'm allergic to fish. Huh. And I'm the oldest grandson, and I always joke that if I was not the oldest grandson, she would be like morally offended that I can't eat sushi. Hmm. But since I'm the oldest grandson, she's like, oh, okay, I'll let it pass, because <laughs> you're the firstborn. If I was like a middle grandson, she would be so upset. She's like, you can't eat sushi? And she every couple of years is like, are you still allergic? And I'm like, yes, I'm still allergic. <laughs> yeah, being yeah, wow, being a, being part Asian and being allergic to sushi, that must... 
That kind of must leave a lot it's of options. very diametrically opposed in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, did you grow up around here? I did. I, I was born in Manhattan, and then my family moved out to uh, Long Island, Nassau County, and I lived in Lynbrook. Okay, Long for, Island, huh? Yeah, for a okay. long period of time, and now, last couple of years, I lived in I live in Westchester now. Okay. So, I've always been around the city, that yeah. sort of thing. I've, I've kind of been the same way. It's I've grown up in New Jersey my, my whole life, uh, mm-hmm. for most of my life in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, and now in Little Ferry. And uh, it's it's kind of a weird feeling because I tell people I'm 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 New Jersey, but vi- New Jersey, New York, because right. you know I've gone to New York, you know, countless times in my life, so I kind of feel like I'm a right. New Yorker You're a by proxy. Right. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I guess because I, I don't know if there's maybe something if people are really from New York City, they try to say that right. I'm a New Yorker, and I guess I'm kind of a New Yorker, but at the same time. I mean, I never read, I never rode the subway until I was like 14. Okay. And I never, uh, um, like, and I didn't really, I, I now love going downtown, like to the whole area where they have kind of the last bastion of art house right. movies, cinemas. Um, but I didn't really like, start like do- Houston Street kind of area. Yeah, the Houston Street area and 14th Street also mm. has some too, but, um, but I didn't do that until like I was 19. So, right. and I remember there was a time where I would go down that area, and I would just think, man, this is like the coolest area ever. <laughs> you know, because you know what? I have a you know, Teaneck's actually not a bad town, but it doesn't really have that kind of pull, right? Like, that art house thing you're looking for. Yeah. Um. So in like Long Island, I guess I don't know if people sometimes they have like this image that Long Islanders they all have like an accent and they all they do. act kind of big and. You know, Billy you mean, Joel you mean songs. Strong Island, as, a, as so many people is, call it, which is, is annoying. Is that the nickname? It's, it's, it's the Island. latest nickname. There's there's a series of them, but that's well, that's the latest. It's well, of course, the, the fist-pumping Strong Islanders. Yeah, well, of course, the nickname for New Jersey, uh, as George Carlin once joked, what were you called? The, the, the Garden State? If you're growing smokestacks, sure. <laughs> 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 yeah, every, I mean, every, I think every place has their, you know, local... Like, you know, it sucks, but it's where I'm from sort of thing. Mm. And the thing about Long Island, which is funny, is, and maybe Jersey's the same way, like, when you're not from the city, mm-hmm. like you were saying, you're, like, looked down upon whenever you're in this. Like, oh, you're just, you're not really from Manhattan. You're just visiting. Mm. And so that always, I thought, was funny, because especially now, no one's from Manhattan. Manhattan has, <laughs> like, pushed everybody out. It's it, only if it, you're, like, a billionaire can yeah, you live there. Yeah, it's kind of tough. Like unless, or if you're one of those people that somehow slipped in there, right? And you have you got some like, rent-controlled apartment that you're holding onto for dear life, yeah, or, or like, like that. or six roommates or something well, right. like that. That's the other thing. Uh, God, this is a and this is a tangent, but I just read an article about how uh, like people from Brooklyn, like mm-hmm. the that now Detroit is gonna maybe be like the next bastion for artists. Or oh something. Oh, because it's so cheap. Yeah, well, that's mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah, that it's so cheap that you know part of the appeal of Brooklyn was that yeah it did cost some money to live there, but it wasn't as expensive as Manhattan. Right but now, Brooklyn is getting to be priced more expensive. Too. Right. Yeah, more expensive because and there are sections of Brooklyn I think that it's crazy. I think it's like million dollar places to get. Yeah. Yeah, God, who wants that? Like for me, that's why Jersey has never been that big a deal that mm-hmm. you know I, I still feel comfortable in this area but yeah. uh what uh 
So when you were younger, what was uh, were movies more your thing or sports? Because now you kind of have I was a, mix. a thing in, in both of them. I mean, I, I grew up playing sports. Ironically, my father worked in sports and hated it. And okay. like right as the, right at the time I was coming of age when he left. Yeah, I remember so. you talked a little bit about that on uh, on your podcast. Yeah, right. Which was always kind of funny because I, you know I I don't know what the right age is when you become aware of things. I was probably five or six. Right. And that was when he went from sports to news. So he worked at a sports like he was he was part of the the yeah. he was the sports guy in a news station. Not the sports guy. He he works in, on a technical capacity. So he was in charge oh, of like setting oh, okay. up the the cameras, the satellites. Oh. He worked a lot of NASCAR races. He did a bunch of Super Bowls. Hmm. But he would always say like, "I was at this Super Bowl. I have no idea who played. I have no <laughs> idea who won." You were just there. He was just. I'm just here to make sure the wires are yeah, connected. Exactly. The power stays I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm making sure the picture is there. <laughs> which I always thought was funny because like by the time I was six, I would have like killed to go to a Super Bowl, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I don't work with them anymore." Oh. And I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, I got I got my sports you know fix almost in, in a like ironically I guess because mm. he would always you know growing up I'd be watching and I'd be explaining to him usually it's the other way around like the dad's like oh you know uh-huh. we're gonna go have a catch and I'd be like dad let's go have a catch and he's like I don't really do that <laughs> so oh no did that did that was that a problem at all like did, you know what because some kids they're like why don't you play catch with me not Dad? really I, I I'm, was... I'm messed up for life <laughs> <laughs> i hate everything i was fortunate because the block i grew up on was just full of kids all my age yeah so from like you know about five and six until the end of high school there was always like 20 people outside mm. so we could just go out there and there'd be any number of people playing football or soccer or tennis i mean <laughs> ironically the biggest sport everybody played was uh hockey yeah, well, was there was funny. a period where I guess because uh, it was like ninety three, ninety four when the Rangers not, and, the, and it's, the Devils. It's kind of weird. Was... Like around that time, yeah, hockey for me became a big deal in part because my brother was really into it, and right. he, you know, the, the Rangers were, you know, the big thing then. I guess the Devils were too, but for some reason. I don't know what it was. The Devils just didn't come into my household. <laughs> now the Devils are. You know, my somehow my Corey, my wife got obsessed with them. Really? But, yeah, it's really strange. Like a friend of ours was a huge Devils fan. Okay. He kind of, I, you know, what, what the thing that happened was, um, there was this player, Yamir Yager. Right. You right, know, right. He, uh, he's kind of a legend. You know, he's been around for forever. Um, and Corey had kind of like a fixation with him when she was a kid, just because <laughs> she thought he looked cool because right. he had a mullet. With the mullet, yeah. Yeah, and he looked kind of gnarly. Um, so when she heard, was told that, oh, he's playing on the Devils now, she's like, really? And so she started watching games, and and now you know it's like you know my wife's a vegetarian, so that makes me a vegetarian. Right now I'm a hockey fan. <laughs> and and any, I've gone is there to like, anything that you've now made her. Like she's made you vegetarian and occupant. Have you made her um, now like a? Well, I, I mean, when we first start going out, I, uh, I, I, I try. You know, I had certain interests that I wanted to press upon her. Um, you know, like a lot of art house movies, a lot of the mm-hmm. old masters who I was obsessed with. So I, I showed her like a lot of Ingmar Bergman movies. Sure. I showed her a lot of uh, really deep existential dramas and stuff like that, and. Luckily, she she dug them, so right. we were good. We were good together like that, um, and just also like certain comedy and music, I guess. You know the stuff that you try to share when you're first, right? You know, blooming in that relationship. But but as far as hockey goes, again, I 
I don't know where it comes from because she's not really a sports person. But <laughs> now, but it went it went from like zero to a hundred. One minute she wasn't hawking, watching hockey at all. Next minute she has to watch every Devils game. She goes. Wow. We now have like a. We're signed up through like on PlayStation. They have like an NHL network or something. Oh, like a season so, pass or whatever. That yeah, is. a season pass where you can go and watch old hockey games. Oh my god! And <laughs> hockey podcasts. There are a lot. I don't know if you've heard wow. any hockey podcasts, like the Puck no. Podcast. No. And uh, it's like this other thing called Merrick versus Wasinski, and. <laughs> Like and even they do podcasts in the summer. There's no hockey going on, but they still are talking about hockey. It's like we're gonna have an episode now about the draft, or <laughs> that, which I guess that, is big. But the thing that's so crazy about sports is that every sport is now 24 seven. Like it used to yeah. be like the season's over, you take a break for a couple yeah, months, exactly. But now it's like we are still talking about you know the NBA, like their summer league, which nobody gives a shit about. Really, There's that, a that just happened that. in Las Vegas like this mm. past week. Because of all the draft, like, oh, this guy that the Knicks just drafted is like playing, and yeah. he scored five points, and it was huge. And it was like, but who really cares? And yeah. somehow that's become like every day. There's there's more sports, even though technically these sports don't come back till October, December. No, the only sport going on right now, really. Well, I guess if you want to talk, I guess soccer was a right. Big Soccer's thing always recently. happening, but but yeah, it's really just baseball. Right um, now, I mean, so you grew up in Long Island, Mets guy, Yankee guy. Right on. I should give you a high five Air from five. across the desk. Air five. Yeah, Yankees, um, Rangers. Because um, I, yeah, I guess when I was listening to your podcast, it sound, I wasn't sure. It sounded more like the other guy, Keith, mm-hmm. was the Yankees guy. He was. Well, he's a big that. Yankee guy. Like I, I, the way I, the way I would differentiate the two of us. Mm-hmm. I love sports. He lives sports. Like he, okay. if the Yankee, he's gotten better. If the Yankees lost, like he would have a bad day. Like, he wouldn't be able to, like, go outside. It would wreck day. his whole yeah. day. He's that kind yeah. of guy. Like, I, I'm like, okay, we lost. That sucks. We'll get him tomorrow. Yeah, that's how I That's how I kind of feel. I mean, last I think last year, they seemed to be not having a good season. So mm-hmm. I think the losses I took, you know, they seemed to be, oh, God, they lost again. Like, right. they're actually... They're almost kind of getting They're not even going to make the wild card, and this is Jeter's last year. Because, right. I mean, I'm, I'm not, like... I'll listen to Yankee games. I mean, I grew up with John Sterling on the radio. <laughs> the best. With, with his, the best there with his is. fucking bad puns. Like, and, well, my, my favorite thing about John <laughs> Sterling so many. is that he can't see. What? So, like... What do you well, mean? I mean like, he's not blind, but, like, there have been so many times when you're listening, and he's like, It is high! It is far! Oh, uh, caught left field. And you're like, What the hell? Don't do that to me. Like, I'm driving, like, Yeah! Oh! <laughs> he starts going Second into out. one of his... Puns. Yeah. Oh my! It's as high as far as gone. A home run for Teixeira. Yeah. Send a text to Teixeira. It's terrible. And then sometimes, oh. like Susan, off the chain, be like, "Ah, oh, he caught it, John." I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, I thought that was gonna go, but no, he, you know, but, died on the warning track. And it's but like, that's one of those huh. things, though, that when when John Sterling goes, I'm gonna be really yeah. sad because you know he's been there since I was a kid. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, like, and I spend a lot of time some in my job in in the car uh, and. Yeah, and I have the Yankees on. That's how right. I kind of I kind of got back into baseball in the past year just because of that. Because I had kind of I hadn't drifted away from baseball completely. Right. But I just had lost track of them. Like I'd kind of 
I didn't even know who most of the players were, so I had to come up to speed. That's something a problem if you lose track of a sport. It's oh suddenly yeah. like there's no one who to root is this for. Guy? There's no there's nobody to get. You know to who get am I going to get excited about? A Rod. Right. Am I going to get excited about this guy who's a cheater and right or Chase Headley or you know Jacoby El- <laughs> Like they're all good players, but it's like they're sure. not Bernie Williams. They're not you know Mariana Rivera. That, like I mean you you're like me. You grew up in the '90s. Right. You had that group of people like Paul O'Neill. Yeah, you grew up with and them, Bernie, almost. and uh, and even like. Glenn Allen Hill, throw some names at Glenn you. Glenn Allen Hill, who's that? He was, uh, I think he was on the 98 team. He was this big, hulking guy uh-huh. who his only job was like to come in in like the 6th, 7th inning and hit like pinch hit home mm-hmm. runs. Yeah, so I mean, again, I'm not, like, I'm not a huge sports guy, but mm-hmm. basically I like the Yankees and I now, you know, watch Devils games. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, going to see live hockey is a lot of fun. I've heard that. I've only been to like two hockey games in my life and I should go again. But they said, like, because... I had this discussion with a friend of mine. Okay. Certain sports are so much better live, and yeah. certain are so much better in TV. Football is terrible live. Yeah, well, because you're watching, like, when I wa- I mean, I'm bored to shit, like, watching football on TV. I can only mm-hmm. imagine when you're there, I mean, basically more than half the game is just watching them set up. Right, and also you can't even see half of what's going on. Because, like, part of football is like, oh, he got two yards. Nope, he only got one. And the only way you know that is with the camera replay. Yeah. And when you're, you know... 500 yards away it just looks like people like banging into each other so you have yeah. no idea what's happening mm-hmm. but but going back to now when you were a kid so you said you were kind of in the sports and you said you played sports i did i was always i was always playing soccer i still do um okay. i got into tennis at a young age which i still play okay and that's been an interesting transition because tennis mm-hmm. led me to have probably my worst job ever oh for two years, I was a ball person at the U.S. Open. Ooh, the ball boys. Yes. Like, and you gotta just stand out there and always rush out to get yes. the ball and like. It was. It's the only job I've ever quit. Really? I okay. quit because. How long were you there for? I was there for two years. I, w- I went one year. Like your first year, you go and you do like the the quali. Because basically, there's a qualifying rounds to pick like you know the lucky eight sacrifices to play the best players in the first round. Uh-huh. And then there's the two week tournament. So I worked the whole qualifying, and then they start cutting people because they need less of you. Yeah. So the first year, I only did the qualifying in, like, the first round, and that was fine. Second year, I came back, and, you know, I've been there a while, so they're like, all right, maybe you'll stick around for a while. But I was on court. I forget who was playing. We had two other ball people faint on court because we were not allowed to drink water on the Whoa, court. Oh, what? Really? Because the water was for the players. Now that's some that that's some fucking like right. It might have changed. Shit. This that's... is like 15 years ago at this point. It might have changed, but like two people fainted, and the rest of us were like, okay, maybe we're gonna get re- relief. No, we didn't get relief. So it was four of us for a court to cover instead of six. So you know that day ended. I walked off the court and I went home and I told my mom I'm like I'm not going back. And she's like, well, you better call him. So I called him and said I quit. And they yelled at me, yelled at me, and I said, I almost died today. I quit. And yeah, that sounds that, that sounds pretty damn unfair. Like, at least give give a bottle, or you would think. Yeah, you would think that, or at least you know, let, can I go and get a drink from like the fountain or something? Right. Can I get a drink from the toilet? Let me at least right. do that. You know, or can I drink my sweat <laughs> off of my hair, like something? But no, you have to be yeah. silent. You have to. It's like not being seen. Because if you if you do anything to distract, the players are like, oh, the ball guy. What is with that? So. It's like you literally are a servant. No, the, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, that's some, 
that yeah, that some sounds like some Game of Thrones stuff. Yeah. Like that's like you're you're in the Lannister court and you are uh Yeah. You're just there for their entertainment. And I mean, it was cool. Like I, I was literally like as close to I am right with you to like Roger Federer and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. And they, the players were uniformly very nice. But just this like archaic idea of like, no no no, like you're not there to drink water. You're there to chase the ball and then stand still. Like I get that's my job, but no matter what job you're at, you're allowed a glass of water. Yeah, even if exactly. You're, even if you're on death row, you get a last meal. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so you did that. Um, and uh, but but then at that same time, was acting also coming into something? Acting that you was, were was something in? I was always interested in, and it was it's like a stop-start thing. When I first went to college, um, I, I majored in it, and like just I was going through some stuff, and like it fell apart. I didn't end up like seeing it through as i should have okay so when i went back i i switched up and i i went and basically studied film and communications okay and that allowed me to dabble in like every aspect of because that was i guess what i was lacking like acting is amazing but it's one thing yeah and you can be great at it but it's like i was i'm I'm one of those people that like i'm curious about everything else too like i i want to know what the actor's doing but i also want to know oh what's the dp doing Sure. Oh, what's the director think? Oh, what's the camera guy looking at? Oh, what's the lighting guy looking at? What's the prop person like? So I, even when I, we were like doing things, I would be like focusing on the other actors, not in the scene, like the guys on the side and like scratching nose. I'm like, I wonder what he's thinking about right now. Yeah. So I never had that like laser focus that you need to be to be like a really, you know, Shakespearean like top class actor. So I kind of moved away from just that and sort of became one of those, like, I want every tool in the tool belt kind of guys. Yeah, you want to know how the craft actually works. Right. And maybe that will get you to be kind of a little bit of a better actor yourself. Right. Um, and uh, so that was, so that started in college. That wasn't yeah. really the I mean, I made, like, you know, I made a couple, like, you know, dumb movies with friends and stuff like that. Like, we, we did a movie, I remember one time, where we were, like, reenacting a James Bond thing, and we, like, <laughs> we stole, like, an old, old, old... I can't even think what it's called, but if you have a fireplace and it, like, you have shutters that close it, yeah, we found this like really big ornate thing and we pretended it was like a trap, like door, uh-huh. and we attached it to this friend of ours that had a uh, a treehouse. So we like <laughs> we made this like big elaborate thing and we're shooting it on like old old VHS, like a oh, big old bulky camera shot, shot on video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Might as well have been a Betamax, yeah. but. You know, I was always doing that kind of stuff, and I was always sure. writing. Like, that was the other thing that I, I've, in the last couple of years, came, came back to, was growing up, I wrote a lot. Okay. Like, I don't even know what I was thinking half the mm. time, but, like, my mom will drop, like, stacks of things. Like, you wrote this when you were five, and it's, like, 300 pages of Whoa, dribble really? of Star Wars or something like that. <laughs> so, Star Wars fan fiction. Yeah, from the that, age five or whatever wow. it was. Because that was, like, I have very early memories of... You know, Star Wars, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, like, you know, the the, the big touchstone movies mm. for, I think, anybody that's, you know, and you, you can well, talk more on this. Yeah, but I mean, that's, I mean, I remember being, like, four years old in Ghostbusters, like, I, like, the first time I watched that, it was, it was actually taped off of TV. Right. And so... It was, you know, edited for commercials and, you know, had some of the good, you know, swear lines. Like, right. I don't think I watched the actual full version of Ghostbusters until I was, like, 13. Oh, my God. So I didn't even hear the line, this man has no dick, until I was oh, of way, a certain age. You could, you could get the joke better. Like, when you're five, you'd be like, he said dick. But... Well, I mean, as a kid, too, I think that 
you know, that was also when the cartoon was on. Right. And, I definitely know, grew up with huge. that. Yeah. So I kind of just, I kind of just associated, oh, okay, this is like the cartoon, but with real people. Right. You know. Oh, you like, know, and that's Peter like Venkman's hair is a little less, you know, pompadoury. And hey. Slimer is there with them. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. And he talks. Why not? Right. Um, but so in other words, so what you're saying though, is that like these kind of movies made you really interested in storytelling? Yeah. Storytelling and then how things got Cause, made. Because Back to the Future, that was something that when I was in college, uh, I took a screenwriting course, and I always mention how that was used as an example of the perfect script. Right. You know, that in terms of structure, you can look at that and see, like, okay, they really knew how to make this an airtight story. Right. Um, exactly, your rising conflict. You've got your beat. You've got your, you know, the central question, right? Uh, which is answered by the end of it, right? Um, and uh, and so 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 when you say so, the writing thing was also it was more about like prose and fiction. From yeah, early age, I mean, not really screenwriting. I I didn't really do much screenwriting at the time because I didn't even think that was a thing. Like I I guess in right. my head I was like screen like they make it up while they're on set. Of course. What did I know? That's the cliche. So when I found out like, no, there's like a script and they write it. And sometimes 25 people are like in there punching it up and stuff. I was like, that's kind of amazing. Cause I've become very interested when I see a movie trying to like pick apart. Oh yeah. Like, Oh, that, that joke was definitely written by somebody else. Or that, that clearly isn't that person's like writing. That was definitely improvised. Like that, that's almost more interesting to me sometimes than if, especially if it's like not a great movie, I'll spend most of the time like, you know, deconstructing the script and seeing like, well, that, that that's where that probably went wrong, or man, that that doesn't sound like it fits the structure of what they were going for, things like that. Hmm. And uh, because I guess part of the reason I ask this too is because uh, on your website, uh, I mean, you've posted now a couple of excerpts from a book. Yes. It's called, and it has this pronounced. Let me. I hope I didn't screw this up. It's Demiurge. Demiurge. Yes. Okay. And you actually, and you pulled like a Pulp Fiction where you actually have the definition yep. of what it is like right there. Because it's so esoteric. I mean, it's it been... is the kind of name that somebody sees that and I, I thought it meant, I thought you had written some kind of fantasy book or something. <laughs> See, that's what's funny about it is it sounds like something almost mystical. Yeah. And it's been used in a lot of contexts. Like it, it was in a bunch of Plato's really old writings. Okay. And it's, it's like a Latin word and basically, you know, Demi is God. An urge is, I, I'm not quite sure what the the Latin meaning is, but the way it's used is it's like God of uncertainty, yeah. God of chaos. And Plato used it as like a God or a God-like creature that puts details in things. Mm. So like, you know, God makes a human, Demiurge like makes him, you know, a liar or something right. like that. So the, the book basically came out of this notion that if, what if there really is not good or evil like if god Hmm. just you know is a thing that exists but he doesn't judge your actions because you know we have free will and we do just live life based on the choices we make and the create the chaos that comes out of it is our own you know choices we make Mm -hmm. and a lot of that came from it's kind of a dark place but about a year ago there was a shooting i think it was either santa monica or santa barbara but it was this kid who was the son i think of a film producer and he shot and killed like two or three young women who wouldn't date him. I no, yeah. Well, the, Elliot Roger. Yes. Right. Of course. And oh, he made that, like a manifesto was, about it. Well, he no, he killed a, several people. Yeah, that was right. a huge story. And he, yeah, he did. He made these YouTube videos right. where you just see this kid who 
I'm sorry, you look like Dave Franco. You right. look like somebody right. who's a really attractive guy, and you're like, so I've had it. Right. I, Life's so you tough. Know, I haven't ever kissed a girl. Man, sh- right. shut up. And he's like 17. It's like, go get a hooker or yeah. something. <laughs> or just, just wait. Go to college. Like, And yet he just, yeah, no, yeah, he was a son of like an assistant director. Right. But So that was a little bit what gave you like the... Yeah, just thinking it was that, and then it was also, um, I started writing it right around the end of uh, last year when the Tsarnaev trial had first started. Right. And what fascinated me about that was how the family of these two, like the brother that lived, but also the family of these guys, Uh like, how do you live your life saying, like, yeah, my kids were those guys? Like, Mm. what is that like? Do you 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 deny it? Do you change your name? Do you go into exile? Like, what do you do with that? And also the whole factor of, uh, uh, you know, that they were also extremists. Right. You know, like, uh, you know, the the guy, was his name Tokar? Right. Uh, Joker and uh, Tamerlan. Joker, Joker. Let's call him the Joker. The Joker. Well, no, but in court, his... He only made one statement, and you know he said, "I want, I, I, I would hope Allah can forgive me or something." Right. What is his? What do his parents think about that? Did they right. have that kind of influence on him, religiously speaking? Did he get it just from his brother? Like, right. where did that come from? So that's that's a good question. So that that was sort of the the the, the headspace I was in. Okay. So what I what I went from there was I said, you know, what if there is this like mass atrocity committed by a family member? Okay. And the book basically chronicles the older brother of a young of a young man who kills yeah. a bunch of people, and how he deals with that. And some of it's you know like he goes kind of crazy, and you know because he gets all this money from an insurance because his parents were murdered. Okay. And he sort of is like living this very extravagant life, and it leaves him very empty. And he looks for faith, and faith ends up being very hollow. Mm-hmm. And not to spoil the ending, but like <laughs> basically the the thing that he realizes, and this was something I kind of realized that. The only thing we can give to another person, even more than love, even more than any, you know, tangible thing, is our attention. Yeah. It's the only thing we can give, and it's powerful. Because when you think about these people that do commit these things, they're doing it for attention. Yeah. They're not doing, like, if they did it and wanted to be anonymous, like, they wouldn't leave a manifesto, or they wouldn't have, like, taped recordings of themselves. No. They just do it. No, and there's also the, there's been the argument, which I think, you know, has some validity, that, um... You know, every time that one of these atrocities happens, because the media covers exactly. the, the the killer so prominently. Right. I mean, I think the only reason, you know, like in that recent shooting uh, in South Carolina, right? Like people only knew of they knew one of the victims because he was a state senator, right? But now everybody knows, you know, the name of Dylan Roof, and right. I, I almost wish I didn't know his name because just like acknowledging him feels like right. giving him You're giving him power yeah a power and that i think yeah it feeds off to other people so that's yeah that's that's kind of fascinating so it's it kind of like an existential story yeah and it's you know it's it's written in a sort of like a wes anderson-ish kind of way where mm. it jumps to multiple characters it's oh, I, okay. I try to throw you into very strange headspaces like i hope i wrote a whole chapter that's like a limerick there's hmm. another whole chapter that it's just the like invitation to an event so like some things are very almost prosaic. Like you're you're not totally just getting a story. Like you're getting immersed in this whole universe, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better phrase. How um and yeah, because I read in the first excerpt that you posted. Is that the the first chapter? That is actually the third chapter. Okay, yeah, because you posted I think the third and the fifth chapter. Yes. Okay, and yeah, and it it seemed pretty 
hardcore because like the guy is just <laughs> for lack of a better word because it's like a guy who's describing like he's like fallen to the ground and right. like, he can't he can barely move and he there's like a fire like next right. door or something and uh i mean I'm, i'll post the excerpt on the, the oh, Facebook that'd be great. page yeah of course yeah of course um so people can see it uh but uh so have you now had no now in terms of coming up to writing a book had you written like short stories or stuff yeah, had you so, what kind of experience had you have in i've have written in this world? i've been writing now officially unofficially for a couple of other comedy shows and things like that so i've been okay. i've been writing a lot of like little things and i have written two and a half screenplays two finished ones and then a half screenplay mm-hmm. that i always want to go back to but never can right that's always the thing so like that was sort of the background and so then i just decided like you know fuck it like i I turned 30 a couple of months ago so i was like i want to have a book written by the time i'm done being 30 yeah so that was like my goal was to have i initially wanted it done by my birthday which is in february but i was only like halfway done at that point Mm. so now we're in july and the book's finished but what's actually hardest for me and it's always been my biggest weakness Mm. is editing it Right, yeah. Because it's long. It's like ninety thousand words. Ninety. Wow. So how many pages roughly? Doubles. Like if, if you you know. I mean, obviously, I know that it's not as one would see it in a book. Right. In terms of like printed pages, it's what about four hundred printed pages. Not bad for, Which, for a first book. And that's what, I, what I've, good. from what I've been researching, like I, I've submitted it to a couple of publishers that are really interested, but I don't yeah. want to send them the whole thing until I feel like it's edited to okay, a good so degree you, so you're still looking for publishing. right okay that's because from what from the ex from the way it looked like you the book was coming out it is coming out and like if i just like there's two people that have given me offers okay but i'm hesitant to go with them one of them it was like no it's like a very small i mean again it's me probably being too ambitious but yeah. like one of them is a very small publisher the other one's a little bit bigger but they were kind of like, oh, well, we don't know if we'd release it or it just would gotcha. be online. So I'm still kind of in the process of finding its home. But my big thing is I don't want to submit it to, you know, Simon & Schuster, like some big company, unless I feel really good about the draft that I'd be yeah. seeing, like the manuscript. Well, it also can be tough. I mean, like, you know, considering how many right. millions of books they probably get and how many people, right. you know, just like with movie studios. I, I, I mean, again, I don't have a ton of experience in the publishing world, but I assume that, just like with a movie studios, they have readers. Oh yeah, there you know you have people whose whole job it is to just right. Get read script, books read and, and write coverage. Right, right. yes, you know, no. Because I because I used to have that. I was an intern at a production company for a mm-hmm. while, and you know one of my main tasks was reading screenplays and having to basically write a review, what was good about it, what was bad about it. Right. Um, now, what was that like? I mean, in terms of when you would read a screenplay, w- would you um, be able to tell early on if it was good, or would, would you surprise sometimes if you're like, I'd "Wow, that with, actually turned out to be a good screenplay"? I'd say within the first ten to fifteen pages, mm-hmm. I would kind of get the gist of where it was going. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I again, this was almost like nine years ago, maybe uh, that I did this. And the thing that kind of saddened me the most—I'm not going to say the name of the movie, no, of course—but I read one script which. It, it, it angered me so much that I was even reading it. It was like, it was, you know, because the romantic comedy genre, as you know, right. can be, it has been so hackneyed that it's become now like an endangered species. Right. Because it was, you know, because so, you know, we had, we got a metric shit ton of romantic comedies over the past 20 years that have just been, you know, the worst that movies have to right. offer. Like, and this was one of the, maybe the worst. Like, wow. I, 
and I this this was the kind of script that made me angry. Like <laughs> you know, on the coverage part, you know, like I and I I don't remember. I might have submitted it with this because I was this pissed off. Right. I, they wrote you know under the section. So what was good about it? I wrote like this didn't give me AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was wow. that. It was that bad because it was one of these scripts where, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but the the thing that pisses me off the most when it comes to certain movies like this are the contrivances. The fact that oh, you have these situations where, you know, the things could be resolved and more honest if characters actually talk to one another. Right. But instead, you have these situations that get set up, and this was like that, but with the most tasteless humor. And right. the thing that made me most depressed, even after I handed this coverage. Three years later, I'm in a video store, and I see this there movie is, on right. the shelf. And right. I'm like, oh, God, what, what's this world coming to? Yeah, it's, it's lowest common denominator but, filmmaking, which, yeah. is, but, which uh, is sad. Very yeah. sad. Yeah. But, uh, but I hope it works out, though. I hope that oh, uh, the book comes out there. Um, but uh, and because uh, uh, Speaking of which, though, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, what was... Uh, so there was just one project. I'm not going to do like a full like. Let's look at your resume. Point oh, A, thanks. B, B, C, hey. D. All right. Hey, but um, but I saw this one video on your Vimeo, and then I saw it listed on your IMDb called "The Fog of Time." Yes. With two G's, and this is your only. It's the only thing that pops up as you having writing, directing, and producing. Right. So I was kind of curious about that. That was um, God, how many years ago was that now? Maybe like. Three or four years ago. Yeah, it says 2011. 2011. The Secret Theater in Long Island City. Okay. Which is like this tiny little theater, like right under the train tracks in Long Island City. For a little while was housing this guy. I don't even remember his name at this point. This guy who had this vision that he wanted to be like the next Comedy Central. And he came okay. into a lot of money. So he like set up a little studio mm-hmm. with like three cameras and stuff, and yeah. he sent out a submission to I don't even know where it was mm-hmm. for like writers, showrunners, hosts, like anybody right. with an idea for something. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I pitched him a bunch of ideas, and he liked this thing, The Fog of Time, which basically the best way I can describe it is picture Bill and Ted meets Dick Cavett. Okay. So take characters and people from like history, bring oh, them so into it's like, a, like it's, a, oh, it's it's like an inner, it's like a, a talk show. Right, except for the fact that it's clearly improvised and not meant to be taken seriously. Like we, the ep- one of the episodes that we did that was my favorite was we had Hitler come on with Ava Braun and then his art school teacher, <laughs> and we deconstructed all the artwork that he had created, <laughs> and the teacher became inf- increasingly more like insulting to him. And by the end of the episode, you felt bad for Hitler. Right. And you're like, oh, we we understand a little bit why you were such an asshole. Okay, because this guy was an asshole. So it was sort of like that sort of humor. It was a bunch of skits. Yeah. Okay. It was a bunch of skits, you know, live audience, and we taped it. But the thing that always bugged me was, like, I kept asking, not even for a lot, but I would ask for, like, oh, hey, can we do a taped segment and I can roll it in, like, during the show? I'll do it on my own budget. I'll get my own crew. No, 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 no. So I I kept getting, like, brick-walled, 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 and eventually the company kind of petered out. Um. So... So like how many how long did this go on for? About six months. We did I think oh. ten episodes. Oh wow, okay. And I think they're available somewhere. I I don't know if they're copywritten. Okay. That's so the, that's is, the so thing. this is different than like because on your Vimeo you have a video that just says the fog. That was that was our like intro thing that we would play okay. before yeah. each okay. episode. I got you. All right. And that was actually my first time dabbling with like editing and voiceover stuff and things like that because it was all you know done in my house on a computer. Like there was no like 
production team. It was just me. And I would, like, find actors I wanted to work with. I'd prep them. We'd go buy costumes. We'd bring them in. And there was, like, a, two guys running camera, and I would just, like, walk... Th- again, like, wanting to do everything. Like, I'd walk them through the shots. I'd tell them, like, kind of what we were going for. Uh-huh. And then they would cut it live as we were going. Okay. Cool. That's that's pretty awesome. So, and so you said you're not... It might be somewhere online. It's somewhere online. I, I'd have to look up exactly where, because, like I said, the production company... I don't know if it folded or it got bought by somebody else, so mm. it might have a different name. The whole... The whole concept was kind of like this guy's, you know, harebrained scheme of like, oh, we're going to take over the world, oh, except oh, we're those not. Those guys, they, they, those kind of guys will either really make it huge or they're going to buy Right, they'll out. disappear. So. Yeah, they'll disappear like that. Um, so, obviously, um, when you came to read in for Losers uh, a while back, and, yeah. that's, and Scott, it's... Can you believe it's been like... I think like four years, three well, years? It's been, well, it's been three years since we shot. Oh the, my God. the pilot like we and it was actually no it was three years ago this weekend because was it this weekend oh well yeah the, of the 17th around right, that right, right. time because i remember it was just it was the weekend when the dark knight rises came out i do remember and yeah. uh, everybody was doing bane <laughs> everybody was doing bane to the point where i think at a certain point I, I, one of us had to tell Alex to all right, shut up. Right. I know. Right. We get like, it. I was imitating him too, but at a certain point, all right, we got to shoot this. Right. And um, <laughs> running out of daylight here. Let's. <laughs> yeah. Um. So at that point, were you like auditioning for a lot of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I I was fortunate in that I I got an agent fairly soon after I was like act, I was for a couple of years I was like maybe I'll do acting as like a, a pretty major job thing. Okay. And I got an agent pretty quickly, so I, I was auditioning left and right. And the thing that was so funny about it was, you know, I don't really have the formal background that a lot of these people have. So I would often go into these rooms and would have conversations, and half the time, like, I would end up interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me. Because <laughs> I wanted to know what the hell, like, like, oh, what is what is your job? Like, what does production manager do? And I felt like they left, I left the room, like, they respected me. They were like, we're not going to hire you. Maybe we'll hire you to be like a producer someday. But so my own like curiosity would always get in my own way. And the few times I got really far, like there there have been three instances where I got to the point where I had to sign like a confidentiality agreement because they they, like put like a check like this is the money you'll make if you book this, (laughs) which always sucks. Oh, and I never I didn't book any of those. But oh okay. So that was that was my acting for a bunch of years, and then I sort of pulled back a little bit because I I became really disillusioned with the. I hate saying it, but like the, the rejection, not the rejection. The rejection is fine. This the, the the level of the stuff I was reading. Gotcha. Like so the, just, the quality actually yeah. wasn't that great. Because a lot of it was commercial acting, and commercial acting is very you know, eat a peach and smile. Like things that are mm. not gonna challenge you. No, you're basically going in there and getting paid to be like, and what a price, right? Yeah. And look, and it's a certain look. Like I, there was one thing where. Like, I thought I had it. They were, like, so nice. And then the, it was almost like a Simpsons episode. Like, I walked in and, like, oh, but you're two inches too tall. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, how, how is that going to affect the product? Like, well, the girl is, you know, 5'2", so we need a guy that's 5'8". Oh, God. And I'm like, can't yeah, you put that's... on heels? <clears throat> I could, you know, I could slouch, but they have yeah, this it, vision, a, and that's it. There's a point where talent isn't even so much a question as oh, it right. is just... A certain plasticity of the person, right? You know, uh, like, will this person work in this like family dinner table? Right. That's all we need. So I could definitely see how that could be a, a thing that would right. bog you down. 
So that was why I kind of branched, like, that was part of why I started writing more. Because, like, a lot of the stuff I've been shooting lately is stuff either I've written or I've had a hand in writing. Or at least I felt more connected to the work because right. it wasn't coming from a place of, like, pure product, like, we must sell this. It was, like, an actual idea or, like, an actual concept. And I've dabbled a lot more in comedy lately, which is funny because... I don't consider myself a comedic actor. Mm. I consider myself somebody who can be funny. But comedic acting is something that's very... Like, I always feel like I'm being too deadpan whenever I do mm. comedy. So a lot of the comedy I've been doing lately is I usually, I'm usually the straight man. Right. Which I'm fine with. But well, it's that's just, also, I guess, losers in a way. You were yeah. the straight man in that. I remember because I... I eventually like many months after we had shot it like we were sitting down all talking and like carlos explained why he cast who he cast and i guess right. i was the guy that was like oh you're the normal one <laughs> i was like i guess thank you <clears throat> yeah it's well i mean your character in in the pilot we should talk i mean uh losers by the way hopefully that will be going online some point soon yeah i mean it's future. funny how it's been like kicking ass the last year just it's like been everywhere. on like a it's been on a tear it's like carlos i guess he, you know, he he said he thought, all right, I'm going to put up and and by the way, this is Carl Stolzera, the director. He just sent it out to all these cons because he thought, all right, this has Ghostbusters, that's Star right. Wars, has all these references. I'm, it'll, maybe it'll play well at cons, and it's like all the cons accepted it. Right. Like I think, you know, he like he had the opposite version of what I had with Green Eyes, where it's like he got like all the people asking to bring his movie right. there. Um, Which I'd love to talk to you about that more. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll get to that for sure, but um, but with Losers, so for that, yeah, I just remember that shooting that, it was both very fun and sometimes, like, you could feel, like, the pressure. <laughs> the weight. The weight, the heat. The, you know? the, the heat, I remember. And it must have been interesting in a way for you, because, you know, earlier we talked about how stuff like Ghostbusters and Star Wars sparked right. your interest, and in that, you're both a Jedi and a Ghostbuster. Right, it was like a dream come true. <laughs> like, if I never acted again, like, that's kind of the pinnacle you for ha me. You have, your, you have yourself in a Ghostbusters outfit, peeing on a wall. Right. And humping you a can, car, right? Yeah, you can show that to your kids, <laughs> and they'll be like, wow, that's awesome, Dad. Wow, Dad. <laughs> really proud of you. <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's go have a catch. Yeah, no, but uh, and I think I remember on on uh, I think it was the episode you had on everybody from Losers. You had like a really interesting talk about like geek culture. Yeah, and I think that was something. Do you see yourself at all in that kind of world? Yes at and all? no. I mean, I've I mean, you, you're kind been, of interested in some of the stuff. But. I've always been the person my whole life middle school high school like i was never in any group i just bounced to like whoever was hanging yeah. out that day so like i could hang with the geeks if you want to call them that the nerds the sports guys the mm. jocks the the theater people like any one of them my, my biggest thing is i always try to at least be able to hold my own in any conversation yeah. i'm not going to know everything about star wars or everything about you know x y and z yeah i'll know enough to at least can, can you know keep a conversation going and then I'll learn as I go. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm kind of the same way too. I think over time I've become a little bit more interested in comics. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, there was a period where, like, I think maybe I felt a little bit more on the outside because I was more of like I I just became so immersed in movies when I was in high school, right. and College, and yet, yeah, I would still, you know, because you have that moment when you know, like, let's say you're at like a family function, and suddenly your family are all talking about, like, the Giants or the Jets or right. the Yankees or a sp something sports. Right. You know, I, I, occasionally I'll feel a little left out when they're talking about these players. And, like, 
who is that? Who is that? <laughs> like, right. wait, who is that guy? What does he do? Right. What team is this? What yeah. sport is this? Um, so I imagine for you, like, it's good to know at least a little bit about something. Right. So you can hold your own. And I try to, you know, I... I, I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I only watch, you know, like, the big things. Like, I, I have very, like, specific things that I'm into. Like, I'm a huge fan of Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan you of, you know, like, old school, old school movies. Like, my favorite director of all time is David Lean. Oh, there you go. Things like well, that. Well, classic epic movies, right? You know, Omar Sharif just passed away. So, yeah. Like, that, that sort of is my through line into things. Like, I'll take an interest in something, but I won't take the obvious interest, if mm. that makes sense. Right. And I guess uh, with books, uh, like who are some of your guys in that? Growing up, I was, and actually still to this day, I was very, I'm very big into biographies. Mm, like I'm fascinated okay. by, you know, the lives of people. I, I, the books that I'm still like grappling with, and I tell every person that ever asked me this question the same thing, the Theodore Roosevelt trilogy by Edmund Morris okay. changed like my world really? about this person. Like, if well, Theodore I, Roosevelt was kind of If badass. I could make any movie ever, uh-huh. it would be a like ten episode miniseries about Theodore Roosevelt mm. because he was quite possibly our most interesting president, our most contradictory president, yeah, and our most like he did so much that people don't even realize what he did. Like he's the reason we have state parks. Yeah, and people don't even think about that. They're he's like, the reason we have state parks. He's the reason why. Uh, and again, hopefully I'm not off on this, but to my understanding, he's the reason why the banks didn't take over things like a hundred years yep. ago. Like he actually fought them off, which was back against then. his own class. Like that's the thing. Mm. Like imagine, I'm trying to think of the like imagine if Mitt Romney was elected and he's like, we're gonna break up like all these privately funded corporate. Like <laughs> so he'd be was, like, what? So, so he was more of a conservative type of guy. Conservative in the sense that. He believed in small government, okay. but he, he was very progressive in a lot of his social views. He was progressive in terms of his military views. Like He thought we should be everywhere. Mm. He was just a very pro-action. Mm. I mean, that's that's his thing. Like, well, you know, yeah. speak softly, carry a big stick. Like, yeah, that was gonna, his thing. Yeah, and like, the image I always think of him is like off hunting like a bear or something like right. that. Right, which he did. I mean, if you, like, in, in a brief nutshell, like, his life basically... He starts out very sick, very sick. He mm. has like almost like to the point he can't go outside. He gets over that sickness by becoming a boxer. Okay. Then he goes to I think it's either Yale or Harvard, like some you know super Ivy League school. Kind of likes it, gets out of that, becomes a police officer in New York City, becomes the commissioner at like 23. Yeah, I remember. To the point that he that. roots out corruption uh-huh. because it's so corrupt in like the 19 teens and, and turn of the century. He literally is, like, walking the beat with his officers, like, yeah. making sure they're not beating up people or taking things. Mm. Then he goes into politics. And mm. for a while, he's, you know, debating if he really wants to do it, but he decides he has to do it because, you know, it's he's a Roosevelt. Which, actually, I found out it's pronounced Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Oh. Because so, it's Dutch. Yeah. I imagine then that you've – I still need to watch this. I think – didn't Ken Burns yes. recently? He did a which Roosevelt. Which was very, very fascinating. Yeah. And I, I'm, I've been predicting this ever since it was announced. I think it'll be Eleanor Roosevelt on the $10 bill. That would not surprise me. That's I think I that think. would make a lot of sense. Like she, it's like as much as FDR had like such a grasp over like an entire generation of people, Eleanor Roosevelt was also really huge. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, in, in the cynical sense, like they want to have a woman, you know. I mean, ideally a black woman, but I don't like unless they're gonna put Harriet Tubman on there. Yeah. Well, as soon as you, well, as soon as you decide to use 
what was it? so it's the ten dollar bill, yeah, right? Yeah, so they're getting rid of Hamilton. Yeah, and you're getting rid who of... started the banks, but who cares? Yeah, let's so. not re- let's not get rid of Jackson. Let's get rid of <laughs> Hamilton. That makes sense. I I still find it funny. Like, why don't we? I mean, why don't we get rid of Ulysses Grant? Like, a, he was a great general, a terrible president. Yeah, that's a terrible what president. Yeah, he was a drunk. He basically just like let all his crony friends run the government for eight years. Yeah, and they just elected him because he won the war. They're like, oh, of course we have to elect this guy. He won the war. But it's, you know, nah, he's Grant. Leave him on the 50. Get rid of Hamilton because he's not a president. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. Like, And I think I heard the rationale somewhere like, oh, well, no, who cares about the $10 bill? The 20 is <laughs> better than the 10. Right. Well, sure, if you're at a restaurant, a $20 bill is better than 10. Right. But that doesn't mean that you, whatever. But right. Why not change the 100 but, uh, at this point? But the point is, though, so biographies really kind of changed how you could look at storytelling yeah. because in a way biography when you read that you get like and sometimes you know you can also read a bad biography but a per- oh, but, sure. but if you have the right author and the right subject matter it can just click completely oh yeah i mean i i, I like reading a biography that paints a full like i hate those biographies that are like he was amazing mm. and they, like i like the biography that says like oh, no he oh, was God. married multiple times two quick i know this is again a tangent but i guess means. that's what we're doing but two biographies to tell you about that i've read that like i i thought well i'd love to write a biography like this one day like there was like a 900 page biography about the beatles oh and that must have been good yeah and then also there is a there's a two-part biography and i think it's actually supposed to go longer like right uh, on orson welles oh, and i didn't read that i read did you read the uh like lunches with orson or did, whatever that was <sighs> man that book was so entertaining <laughs> oh my god it's like you orson welles he he's basically i wrote the because i i write sometimes reviews yeah, I've on seen good those. Those are great. of books i write like to me, when uh, when I read Lunches with Orson, I kind of thought, imagine in Game of Thrones if the Baratheon king yeah, uh, didn't if die. He had lived. If he had just he kept on holding court and he had somebody there <laughs> to kind of listen to his old stories, and you kind of go, oh, wait a minute, I kind of got called bullshit on that. No, I'm, right, what you do you mean? Fool, you're so it's, stupid. Yes, it's like. It's okay to hate Irish Americans. Yeah, it, They're the, all, they suck. The things he says, you're just like, if you oh. weren't Orson Welles, I don't think I'd ever talk to you again. <laughs> but, but you're Orson Welles, please continue. Fascinating guy. And yeah, and uh, so like this book series, it's written by this guy, Simon Cowell. And he, like, and I read this book last year. It's called The Road to Xanadu. And okay. it basically, and this is how, again, ext- you want to talk about extensive. This book runs from... You know, Orson Welles' birth mm-hmm. to when he finishes Citizen Kane. That's the first book. Jeez. So, so all and, of his Shakespeare years and everything. Well, well, also Broadway and right. also radio. And uh, and you want to talk about like a fascinating, you know, enigma portrait, you know, portrait of a guy sure. who, you know, talk about like a force of nature who, you know, it's like you can tell why he made such an impression, but also why he made so many enemies. Right. Because... Like he showed up to Hollywood and like he was had on like a goatee and he said right. it was for a part, but no, not a goatee. He had on a beard and everybody in Hollywood's like, "Why the hell does this guy have a beard? Why does he take <laughs> that off? What's wrong with you?" And the second book, which I haven't gotten to yet, is just about Orson Welles in the forties. Oh, so God. you want to talk about an extensive book series? This guy, it almost is like, all right, you've researched this a little bit too much. Right. What else are you going to do with your life? <laughs> yeah. But so I have that. And also, getting back to like the Beatles book, mm-hmm. that, like, 
the great thing about that book was uh like you have a you have um it really takes a lot of time the author spends a lot of time in their early years just like how they were wh- what made them who they were as young right. people and the fact that both John Lennon and Paul McCartney like lost their mothers when they right. were kids and you kind of see how both of them took it in different ways like Paul McCartney was messed up for a while but then he i guess he but he kind of became a normal kid whereas John Lennon he he frankly became like he was an asshole right he became and, very you know, tortured and yeah, like, like torturing well yeah. torturing and uh you know and it's just and yet you get a full sense of him like you yeah. you understand where he's coming from when he like slips into heroin fueled funks for right. a period of time and you kind of look at it and think wait wait but wasn't this when you're writing Sergeant Pepper? Wait, how, <laughs> right? Weren't like you were really like zoned out all the time watching TV? Right. Like, how did you do Day in the Life? <laughs> yeah, that, and that's the thing about genius. Like that, I guess that's also why I like reading biography so much. Like, I love kind of seeing the aha moments in like these genius yeah. types, and oh, it's, yeah, it's always like not what you think. Mm-hmm. Like you'll be. I mean, my, one of my famous one, favorite ones was Dan Aykroyd was explaining how he came up with Coneheads. Oh, and uh, the Saturday Night Live book. Yeah. Yeah, I read he was that. stoned on the couch and like he was like kind of <laughs> yeah. like cross-eyed and the, the guys like ah like heads were kind of doing this and he's like that'd be funny and that became <laughs> and it was like how does yeah. that happen but it does hey it was uh it was that time to do it yeah oh yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean the thing the thing about biographies that are both good and bad like you said though is like they're for every great one there's so many hatchet job biographies that you don't realize until you're like into it that it's like, oh, this author hates this person, and they're not gonna give him like a fair deal. Like yeah. I read one on on Frank Sinatra by I forget who it was, but like 20 pages in, she was always like, he was a womanizer and a blah 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 and a money. And I was like, mm. well, this book's not gonna go in a good place. And I, I stopped reading it because I was like, I don't want to just hear about the you know the ooh the like the the details. Like I want I want the person in there too. Yeah, I think that's something. I, I also read a lot of. I, I like to read a lot of memoirs too. Yeah, like that's something I find kind of fascinating, and I like to kind of see the moments where, like, a person will or will or won't fess up to something. Right. Or uh, kind of dance around it, or, or just sort of drop it in and then keep going. Yeah, when they'll actually like dig into something. Like I, I kind of like when someone is really. And then I'll be surprised where, hey, don't don't be embarrassed by that, you know, right. or, or I'll be like, wait, you really like that thing you made? Right. Like, uh, I forget who it was, like William Friedkin wrote a memoir mm-hmm. about a year or two ago, and I read that, and a lot of this book is so fascinating, but then he gets to certain movies, and I'm like, wait, you really like that movie? <laughs> that movie's terrible. How could you be, you're proud to have your name on that right. piece of shit. You're owning that. Okay. <laughs> you're picking that one to own. All right. Yeah. Earth, so familiar and yet so full of mysteries all its own. These questions of origin, time, discovery, history with no answers. This shared knowledge should have been passed down through the ages, but was lost. With the only people who truly knew having long since turned to dust. Or so we thought. Now, armed with my ability to travel through time, I, Darren Fogg, invite you on a journey from our ancient history to our present day, where I will bring guests back to the studio answering these questions and more. We may yet unravel the mysteries that have been lost in the fog of time. 
was that something like just curious like when so when you did the fog uh mm-hmm. thing so if that was tv was that mostly just shot live did you have to really you didn't have to do anything in post not really i mean if i if i wanted to i could have been a lot more meticulous but they were trying to like stream it mm. so it was basically like as we were shooting it it was getting put on the web so yeah. i didn't have a lot of so I guess, say in how it looked yeah so i guess that because of that like you uh and uh, yeah as you said they wouldn't even let you shoot like another right. scene outside that's right. would that but um would you want to direct again i think eventually i mean what i've come to realize is i am not very good at giving people instructions mm. i'm very good at taking it and i'm very good at doing it on my okay. own so being a director it's you know you need to have the vision you need to understand exactly what you're going for but yeah. i'm one of those people that like i like collaboration so like okay. if somebody else has a better idea than mine we go with that oh yeah well i'm i'm like that too on set i'm very much about hearing out other people's ideas all the time almost to the point where like once or twice on green eyes i suddenly thought to myself like like maybe that night, like did I give enough direction? Right. Did I maybe give right. a little was, too was much clear enough, on or that? was I right? Yeah, I you know because you always want to be clear whatever you're doing. You definitely always want to be clear on set. Um, and I think really most most actors, uh, yeah, are, they just want to see that you're not like a complete asshole. Yeah, I mean they want to just see that you at least kind of know what you're doing. The biggest thing, I mean. As an actor, for as speaking as an actor, the mm-hmm. biggest thing we want is we want to know that we're we can be we're trusted and right. that we can trust the director to not put us in like a really vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. Like if we're gonna go go to a place that's very personal, something like the director's not gonna be in the corner like texting or you know stupid things like that. But it's just they they want a director that they know cares about what they're doing there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's tough because I mean, the bigger budget you get, the bigger like there's twenty thousand moving parts. Oh yeah. So that's why it's like amazing sometimes when you'll get like a really personal performance from a, somebody in a huge budget movie because it's like, how was that director able to push everything aside and like get that moment still when he's like, oh, you got ten million dollars coming in for this like explosion, but you really want to get that personal moment at the same time. Yeah. I didn't want you to see me like this. Roy, what's going on? I'm a geek. I've tried to conceal it from you, but I just can't do it anymore. Why would you need to conceal anything? We're losers. And you're just so beautiful. You're smart, and you're kind. You're perfect. I love you. I know. Han motherfucking Solo. So, uh, as Mark Mayer would say, uh, so you think we're good? I think we're good. We're good. Uh, we had good, good talk. This was a good, uh, a good cast. Yeah. <laughs> this pod is full. Yeah. So, um, well, thank so, you for having me. Very yeah, much. Yeah. Thank. Well, thank you for having me. I, I kind of feel like we both kind of did our own shows. Yeah. Here. Um, so it was, it was a meeting of the minds. It was a meeting of the minds. Uh, a detente. So, yeah, a detente. Uh, and. So you can find The Wages of Cinema on SoundCloud.com, and also we're on iTunes. Uh, and you can also find us on our Facebook page for The Wages of Cinema, also wagesofcinema at gmail.com. And yours is called I Work in Production, right? It is, which you can find at iworkinproduction.com. 
Mm-hmm. And the podcast is also on iTunes. Yes, and remember that if you're going to go to Devin Close's website, go to devintclose.com. Yes. Because I spent like an hour, not, not an hour, that's exactly, but I tried to <laughs> find your website. Life. I tried to find your website under devinclose.com and it didn't come up. I used to have one there and it crashed. Oh, okay. So I rebuilt it and I couldn't get my own domain. Because uh, it was still in like tied up in some old. It, it, I still own it, but it was tied up in some other, uh, whatever was like sharing yeah. thing. So I had to change it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is what it is. But if you go to devontclose.com, you can see uh, all the different work that Devin's got going on. Uh, you know, again, I meant you know he has I work in production podcast plus uh, the sports podcast. What is that called? Oh, it's called Bush League. Bush League, which which features an audio clip from Vacation. Vacation to and, open the and, show and also Anchorman. Oh, does that close the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. A good, good close. <laughs> um, and uh, and then oh, one last thing. You do you have like a band? Yes, I do. Yeah, because I noticed you have a music section on your site, and uh, is that fun to do? It is. I've been doing it for about twelve years now. We, twelve uh, years. Wow, that's. <laughs> we do. We uh we started out as just like a straight cover band playing bars, but now we've expanded and we play a lot of weddings. Lately. Weddings, yeah, which are which are very lucrative, which is nice. That's that's. I'm glad this year that they're because I've been to a couple weddings in the past few years, and it varies. Where at one wedding there will be a band, but then the next one there'll be a DJ. Yeah, DJ is so that, depressing. Yeah, well, that's it my, it's da- very sweet sixteen. Yeah, because without going too long in it, my dad, that's what he did on the side for many years. He oh, was nice. a drummer, and he that's how he kind of. He, I mean, he had a regular day job, but mm-hmm. on weekends. For something like 30 years, he would play weddings and bar mitzvahs oh, and great. special occasions. And, you know, you could kind of see, like, I could see through my dad the decline of the the band that could yeah. be hired like that to the point where now I think he only plays maybe once or twice a year right. for those kind of engagements, which is kind of sad for him because he's always loved playing the drums. And, right. you know, and that's always been, you know, seeing that he did something that he loved and made money doing it. I think that was also an influence early on oh, for I me. Oh, I bet. Follow um, that passion, you know. You not... pl- and you play guitar? Uh, no, actually, I do play the drums also. Lead, oh. lead singer drums. Great. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Awesome. And so you do like a lot of rock stuff and pop stuff. Yeah. I mean, our specialty is we, we play the ma- you know the major stuff, but we play a lot of obscure Springsteen. And we like playing a lot of difficult songs. Like we play Foreplay by Boston. We play uh, Carry On Wayward Son. Rosalita, Bad Out of Hell. Like we don't just play like you know your typical three minute songs. We we like to kind of take songs that you don't expect to hear live. Yeah. And that's what we kind of throw at people because we're fairly big. We're seven people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, full band. Yeah. It's definitely. Right. Uh, yeah. That's how my dad used to do it too. Um. And uh, great. And, and there's music on the site. Yeah. There's music on the site. It also links to our other website, which that one. It's Gig Salad, which is like this... <laughs> is that the name of your it's group? This other, no, that's not the name of the group. That's the name of the website. Okay. Our, our group is called Reprimand. Okay. But the website is Gig Salad, and so we're gigsalad.com slash reprimand. And that okay. has all of our clips. It has like 15 or 16 reviews from past clients. And a, for a plug, I don't know when this will go up, but we're playing this Sunday at the Bohemian Beer Garden in Astoria. Next week we're playing at the... Botanical Garden in Flushing, Queens. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, because I guess if you said you play... So these are the bar gigs or the wedding Yeah, these gigs? are the bar gigs. The wedding, I mean, un- unless you're invited, usually you can't come to our wedding gigs. Cool, cool. That's, but it, that it keeps sounds, busy. 
All right. Yeah, I'll have to check that out sometime. And uh, and so we'll be back soon on the Wages of Cinema for more uh, podcasty goodness. And uh, just remember that the Wages of Cinema is death. Good night.